Welcome to Team Luke for Minds Podcast. On this show, our mission is to help families just like yours. We'll bring you inspiring stories from brain injury survivors, advice from health professionals, and much more to help make the recovery journey a little easier. If you or anyone you know has a, suffered from a brain injury, this show is for you. Hey everyone, welcome to the Team Luke for Minds Podcast. I'm Jared Samuels, and today on the show we have Dr. Emily Columbahetti, who is a board-certified chiropractic neurologist and senior staff clinician at Plasticity Centers of Orlando. So welcome. Thank you. No, it's a it's a pleasure being here. I've I've been involved in Team Luke for Mind in some way or another for the last about three years or so. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, so my first question is, tell us your story. Uh, how did you become interested in neurology and chiropractic care? Absolutely. So I come from a, a long line of healthcare providers. My mom's a nurse. My grandma's a nurse. My other grandma's a nurse. My grandpa was a doctor. Uh, so I always knew growing up that I'd be doing something to help people. Um, and then as it came about, I had actually joined the army. Um, to be a dentist. And then right before I went to dental school, I was like, you know what, I really need to be able to talk to my patients <laughs> without their mouths open. So <laughs> I kind of did a little introspection and I like the philosophy of chiropractic. It's Greek for to do by hand. Um, and I like the thought of trying to do everything you can non-invasively first, and then go to the invasive procedures if you need it, right. Or for life-saving aspects, which totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. My very first quarter I was in chiropractic school, I found the functional neurology club, and that's where all my dots got connected for me. Um, I've always been a really, really interested in the brain in neurology. I have family members with brain injuries. I have, um, I have a little bit of experience, actually. One of the first kids I ever tutored when I was in junior high, high school, I was, I tutored an elementary student who had a brain injury. That's not what we said, right? We said he was, you know, quote, uh, maybe slow, uh, but if you actually heard what happened to him, he had a pediatric brain injury, and that's why he had some developmental delays. So mm-hmm. it's been a really big passion of mine, um, and then finding a way to help people neurologically in a way that doesn't require drugs or surgeries in that kind of rehabilitative setting um, just just you know connects connects all those pieces for me. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So. You're a board-certified functional neurologist and chiropractic neurologist. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you talked a little bit about it, but how do those two disciplines like fit together for you? Right. So for chiropractic neurology, the thought is you get a doctorate in chiropractic, and then you continue to go to school for neurology. So you can help people, you know, help their brains and help their bodies. And then when you look at functional neurologists, you can actually be a functional neurologist and be a chiropractor or a, a medical doctor or a doctor of osteopathy. So you can be a DC, an MD, or a DO, and you can still be a functional neurologist. The thought there is that most neurologists, when you think of the word neurologists, are going to be, you know, medical MD doctors that are looking at the structure of the brain. So Mm -hmm. they're looking to see, you know, is there something going on, a brain bleed, a tumor, you know, maybe they're doing EEGs, is there seizure activity, but in terms of neurological rehab, they're not actually going to be doing anything rehabilitative with their patients, other than maybe prescribing a medication or looking into neurosurgery. So for functional neurology, it's all about how does the brain function and how can you get it to function better? So the thought there is that any brain out there you know, can probably function better. The same way any body out there could be stronger or be healthier. So 
um, that functional neurology is really that, that aspect of how can we get the brain to function better? And then I tie that in with a little bit of a chiropractic background of how can I get the brain to function better without having to resort to medications or surgery? Oh, I see. Um, so why did you join the plasticity care team? And then, so plas- uh, oh yeah. And then uh, what, like what led you into that path? So Plasticity Centers was founded by a doctor named Dr. Matthew Antonucci. And as I was getting my fellowship, my diploma in in functional neurology and chiropractic neurology, respectively, um, a lot of my teachers were from the Carrick Institute. And the Carrick Institute uh, is the postgraduate education that I received in the field of neurology. So I had different teachers. A lot of them were either full-time teachers or full-time researchers like Dr. Carrick, or Dr. Garcia, um, but Dr. Antonucci was actually one of the few teachers I had during that time that had a practice. So it was, I actually did my internship with him. It's kind of like a residency in mm-hmm. a sense. We call it preceptorship. Uh, I did it with him at Plasticity and then just stayed on. And I've been here for going on five years now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, just kind of start in and then work your way up, I guess. Yeah, in a sense, you know, once you're here, it's hard to think about being anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, to see patients in a really unique way. Um, so when you're when you're seeing a patient at plasticity, we have intensives and extensives, but intensives are people that travel to see us that I get to be with for hours and hours and hours for a five-day period. So after those five days, you really get to know these families and these and these people. Um, and I just love almost like the intimacy of it where I really get to learn my patients. Um, learn their families and and just create that bond with them. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about neuroplasticity? I think you gave a whole presentation for Team Luke on it. Um, But for those that didn't watch the full presentation, what is it and how does it factor into traumatic brain injury? So you are absolutely correct. I I talk about neuroplasticity a lot in my presentations with Team Luke. Um, And then when I travel across North America, neuroplasticity is the key to changing the brain. So when you're looking at the word plasticity, it's it's the word for moldable, right? Like plastos, moldable. So the brain can change. Anytime you learn something new, whether it's a good habit or a bad habit, your brain's undergoing neuroplasticity. So the way we factor that into traumatic brain injury, you can imagine that when a traumatic event occurred, that that brain had to go on like a self-defense mode or self-preservation mode. And sometimes there's an actual injury where some of the cells do... Um, do not survive. And then there's a lot of other cells that have to go into a dormant state to try to conserve energy. So when you're at neuroplasticity, brains will learn whatever it is that they're doing the most frequently. So if what they're learning is to keep certain cells in dormancy so that they can conserve energy, it's unless something comes in there and kind of breaks that pattern, those cells will stay dormant. And that's why active rehabilitation is key. So we say neuroplasticity is a double-edged sword. You can learn a bad habit, but you can certainly learn a good habit. And that's where the neurological rehabilitation comes in. So when we have patients with traumatic brain injuries, knowing that the brain has kind of learned a way that is, it was designed for self-preservation, but is not really functional, you know, in a sense that it's not maximizing their, their lives. If you come in and do neurological rehabilitation, you can break that cycle. And then you can actually start teaching the brain good habits. 
by doing neural rehab and exercises to strengthen different brain areas and pathways and circuits so that the brain can function better. And then with repetition and intensity, those changes can stay. And that's that neuroplasticity. Great. Uh, So when you get a new client, what is your process for screening them? So when a new patient were to call plasticity centers, they're probably going to talk to our medical receptionist first, and she'll do a bit of a pre-screening, just making sure that they're a good candidate even to go on for further screening. So we want to make sure that there's, you know, we're not within that two weeks of the initial injury, um, that the patient is healthy enough to travel, things like that. Um, And then from there, they'll talk to one of our uh, patient care concierge or coordinators. And then from there, um, if you'd like to, we actually offer free clinical consultations. You know, we know it's a big investment in time and money and finances to come to plasticity. So we want to make sure that everyone feels confident in that decision. So that's where you'd actually probably talk to me uh, and kind of ask me some questions, make sure this is a good fit for you. And then from there, we go into when the patient actually arrives and you know, they go through a tour, uh, make sure they can see this technology, see the facility. Then they do one to two hours of diagnostic testing, followed by an hour of medical history review and physical examination. Um, that'll be with someone like myself or one of our other senior staff clinicians. And then from there, we can really customize that treatment plan and go forward with treatment. How do you make sure a patient is a good fit? Uh, we talk about good fit. Is that like how well you think they'll progress or is that like how well the, how receptive the parents are? Or? So a good fit for us for plasticity would be, you know, patients and their parents that, um, you know, understand maybe some of the outcome possibilities, but mostly we want to make sure that that patient, you know, if it's, you know, we see more than just traumatic brain injuries here. We also see um, different developmental disorders. We see different geriatric populations as well, neurodegenerative conditions. So we want to make sure that it's worth it for the patient. We want to make sure the patient is healthy enough so that they can receive our treatment. So we actually see patients that are minimally conscious. We see patients on G-tubes, but if they need a constant breathing machine, there might be a technology that we can't use at the facility. Mm-hmm. And so where we just are really open and honest and say, hey, you know, we could still do some things, but if you've been looking at other people's testimonials, we might not be able to do all of the things that we could do with them, but we could still customize it to, to how you are. And then we just want to make sure that everyone's on the same page as well. Um, that yes, our program for the intensive is a five-day program, but that there's six months of at-home exercises that we do expect their, them to be done. Um, and then we do communication via telemed, right? Calls or, or video calls or emails. So that way it is a, it's a five-day boost to a six-month program. And that's mm-hmm. why I just want to make sure everyone's on the same page. They understand our expectations and then they have an opportunity to ask us questions as well. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so when, well, when you see, you know, you've seen a lot of brain injury uh, traumatic and anoxic brain injury patients. Are there any commonalities among those patients? So in terms of commonalities with traumatic brain injury and anoxic brain injuries, um, usually there are different regions of the brain that are a little bit more vulnerable. So a couple of those regions will be the basal ganglia and the cerebellum. So not to say that everyone with a severe traumatic brain injury or moderate traumatic brain injury or an anoxic injury will have 
damage there, but sometimes there can be functional loss where the cerebellum isn't functioning appropriately, their basal ganglia isn't functioning appropriately. Um, so those may be some things that we see that are, are a little bit more common. Also the autonomic nervous system um, is something that we see having a lot of challenges and not just you know brain injuries, but really almost all of our patients it's the part of our brain that puts us in fight or flight or rest and digest. And when something's gone wrong, it's very common to see people in that high fight or flight or that high sympathetic um, nervous system uh, activity there. So we, we do see that pretty frequently. Um, we have a developmental like plasticity pyramid of neurodevelopment, if you will, where we have the different hierarchies of function with the bottom or the most foundational aspect being autonomics. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, neurological reflexes and then primitive reflexes and then purposeful movements and coordinated movement. And the top of the pyramid is behavior, communication, socialization. So when looking at um, brain injuries as a whole, traumatic or anoxic or hypoxic, um, going through that pyramid with our patients and their families is really important. So we can see what steps need to be, need to be taken to make sure that that foundation is very sound. Right. You want to get the bottom layer done first and then Right. You want to make sure that yeah. you're not building your house on sand. Right. Yeah, for sure. If, if your walls aren't level, then you're going to have to put that roof on over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. We kind of leave the top of the pyramid to other specialists. Right. Speech pathologists or speech therapy, um, maybe cognitive behavioral therapy or ABA. Um, so different aspects of behavior. If, if you filled up all the rest of the pyramid, we say, you know, go to them because then they can focus on that full time. But what we often see is that those children that maybe just aren't responding that well or that quickly to PT, OT, speech, things like that, maybe that's a time to take a step back and really look at the base of the pyramid and see if maybe there's something there that's making it harder for those other changes to really stick. Mm -hmm. So uh, one thing I, I like to ask is, uh, do you have any like specific success stories I talk about or... Um, Another aspect of that would be like, what is the most rewarding part of the job for you? So we do have some success stories and um, it's, this job is one of the most like soul fulfilling jobs I could ever imagine. It's really, mm -hmm. I really enjoy working with children. I, I feel it's an honor. You know, these parents are wanting the best for their kids and, and they trust me with their care. So when we do see those really huge changes, it's, you know, it's, it's miraculous. It makes you want to mm -hmm. jump with joy. Yeah. Um, one of the, the patients that I saw that made me just, you know, say, this is it. This is what I need to do uh, for the rest of my life was a young man. He was a teenager. He was in a car accident, um, had a traumatic brain injury, brain injury on top of some spinal cord challenges. He ended up with dystonia, um, which is like an improper tone. And then he couldn't walk. So this was actually my second week at plasticity. So I was still a little bit of a newbie. And my second weekend, we have this young man, so charismatic, so full of life. He wanted to be independent. You know, he's a teenager. Mm -hmm. it's, um, and it's all those small things that you celebrate that seem small, but they're huge. And after those five days with us, he could take two steps by himself, but it was enough that he could actually walk into the bathroom solo so that his mom didn't have to take him to the bathroom every time. Mm. And it was one of those moments where he was so excited, we were so excited. And then you just take a step back and really think about how that can affect, you know, a teenage boy's life of like, I never get to go to the bathroom by myself. My mom's always there. And now he can go solo and he gets that mm. 
but it's one more step in the right direction towards independence. Mm-hmm. Another story, um, one of the patients that we've probably seen almost the most, uh, and that's because he was one of our first ever anoxic brain injuries that we treated. Um, he was two uh, when he had his anoxic event, he had a, a non-fatal drowning. Um, and at that time, we actually weren't seeing patients that had anoxic brain injuries that were that young. He was he was w- one of our youngest patients at that time. Now, of course, we've been around a little bit longer. We're definitely more, like, more versed um, in anoxic brain injuries and pediatric brain injuries. But at the time, he was one of our firsts. Um, and he came in, um, you know, his little thumbs just clenched inside his fists, his eyes open, but not looking at anything. It's called nystagmus of the blind. I think some parents might be able to relate to that where the eyes move, but they're not moving with anything or not looking mm-hmm. at anything. Uh, and he just, you know, minimally conscious, you know, wasn't responsive in terms of that pyramid. He had, had challenges all the way up and down it. Um, and after that first week with us, his thumbs came out of his hands. And it was one of the first times the mom had seen his thumbs in months and months and months. Oh, wow. um, and then we've actually seen him several times since. We were seeing him two to three times a year. Um, he was a little bit more local, um, but now he he laughs at jokes. Um, he still can't talk or walk yet, but he can move his legs if you ask him to. He can laugh when he's watching Paw Patrol. He can, you know, sit up a little bit better. He's definitely on his, his personality's there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the most rewarding things is that, you know, this mom had gone through such a traumatic event. And then it does feel, you know, I can imagine like losing your kid. And then when that personality comes back, ugh, it's everything. Yeah, like, for sure. He, um, I asked him to uh, pull one of his legs in when he was on our mark, which is our multi-axis rotational chair. Mm-hmm. He, when the first time he actually did it, where he moved his leg on his own, oh my gosh, I could have cried. It was so, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, just just being able to watch him go from not really having any facial expressions to smiling and laughing, and it's, you know, it's been really rewarding. Oh, for sure. No, I, uh, I relate a little bit to that first story because I, I don't know if you my back. I had a brain injury myself um, and I couldn't like walk the hospital floor. And then when I finally could, it was like really rewarding. <laughs> so I felt like that, you know, that kid, he had to get to the bathroom himself. Right, it's like, like those, those little steps towards that right direction, but being able to do it, it's like such a huge victory. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the final question we ask everyone is if you could give three recommendations to a caregiver of a brain injury patient, because those are the people that usually listen to this. Mm-hmm. Um, what would your recommendations be? Hmm. So three recommendations to give a caregiver. And my mind kind of goes to a couple different ways to interpret that question. You know, neurologically, your neurons only need three things. They need, you know, fuel, oxygen, and stimulation. So in terms of fuel, making sure that the children have a good diet, oxygen, maybe hyperbaric, oxygen therapy, and then stimulations like neurological rehabilitation. So I would say, you know, three things to do is to look at the fuel, look at the oxygen, and then look at the stimulation that you're providing. If I take a step back though, if I could give a little bit of recommendation to the caregivers, you know, kind of listening to what the the flight attendants say, you know, put on your mask before you put on your kids to Mm -hmm. just take a moment, make sure you're healthy, Mm -hmm. right? Make sure that you're finding time to take care of yourself physically and mentally. A lot, a lot of caregivers 
are giving 110% of themselves every day, day in, day out, for weeks and months and years. And you know, they're amazing. They're, they're super parents, super caregivers, right? Mm-hmm. They're just superheroes when it comes to that. But if I could give them maybe one recommendation would just be make sure you're taking care of yourself too. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Thank you for listening to Team Luke Hope for Minds podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website, teamlukehopeforminds.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. See y'all next time.